and a big warm summer welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters podcast. I'm your host, Nigel Palmer. It is summer, but it feels like autumn here in the UK. But we never let a little bit of inclement weather stop us from getting out and about in nature here at Wildlife Matters. And in this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, we've been out in the upland moors to expose the reality of driven grouse shooting. And we keep with the theme of driven grouse shooting with this week's Wildlife Matters main feature called Inglorious 12 where we explain why we want to see driven grouse shooting stopped completely with an outright ban. We've had a few technical challenges with our mindful moments on the last podcast and the gremlins are still in the system. So we have an exciting and perhaps not so mindful moment for you this week. But before all that, let's take a look at the devastating impact avian bird flu is having here in the UK and around the world in this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. In this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News, we're reporting on another type of AI and one which could impact on us all. This AI, however, is avian influenza and is highly pathogenic. To date, 24 European countries have reported outbreaks of avian influenza H5N1 viruses in birds, with outbreaks reported in domestic birds, wild birds and mammals, and this includes England, Wales, Scotland and Ireland. America and Canada are also experiencing similar outbreaks, whilst in Asia, where they perhaps more honestly refer to the virus as the poultry flu, as it originated in intensively farmed chickens, but has now spread to infect most of the world's wild bird population. We are now experiencing our third consecutive summer of avian influenza in the UK. H5M1 virus is a notifiable disease in the UK, meaning that poultry farms and individuals with back garden hens must report any suspected outbreak to DEFRA. In July 2023, DEFRA advised dog walkers to keep their pets on leads well away from possibly infected birds and to avoid contact with feathers that they may find in the wild. It did not, though, advise Britain's holidaymakers to avoid contact with dead seabirds on the beaches during the height of the UK holiday season. Curious. This week, Ireland's DERA, the equivalent to DEFRA, announced that two fox cubs in the Port Rush area have been found and confirmed to have bird flu in the first time that mammals have been confirmed as having influenza of an avian strain in Northern Ireland. Wildlife Matters has asked DEFRA why avian flu is now a year-round threat instead of being overwhelmingly concentrated in the winter. And we received this response from them, and I quote, Like other flu viruses, the avian influenza virus continually changes. 
It reassorts with other flu viruses and mutates. They continued, highly pathogenic avian influenza, HPAI, has recently been detected in fox cubs in the Port Rush area of Northern Ireland. Whilst this is the first time mammals have been confirmed as having the virus, it is not unexpected. There have been findings in mammals over recent months across Europe, Great Britain and the Republic of Ireland following reports of mammal deaths associated with wild bird dials. They were keen to emphasise this though. While further research is ongoing, although there is evidence of wild bird to mammal infection, there is little evidence of mammal to mammal infection. End the H5N1 strain currently circulating is known to have the potential to pass to mammals, and that includes us humans following prolonged close contact. In addition, people are advised not to pick up or touch sick, dying or dead poultry, wild birds or wild animals, and to keep their pets away from them. To avoid contact with bird droppings, untreated bird feathers found in the general environment and to maintain good personal hygiene with regular hand washing with soap and using alcohol-based hand rubs. That last bit's a bit familiar. In summary though, you should not touch birds or their feathers, even discarded ones, and keep your dog on a lead. But it is okay to go to the supermarket and buy poultry and then eat it. That just sounds plain ridiculous to me. And I can't think of a better time to go plant-based than to stop eating all meat and dairy products. They are about to cull 50,000 mink in their cruel fur industry over in Finland and Norway is following suit. So some countries are taking the threat of avian influenza H5M1 seriously and so are British wildlife charities such as the British Trust for Ornithology who told Wildlife Matters that earlier in the season significant outbreaks were seen in inland black-headed gulls, although the disease quickly spread to the coastal colonies, including terns. Many thousands of each species are now known to have died, and reports suggest that as many as 20,000 black-headed gulls may have been killed at one Lancashire site alone. Over 10% of the UK's breeding population may have been lost. This unprecedented UK outbreak of avian influenza began in 2021. Estimates of the total number of birds killed vary, but more than 70 species are now known to have been infected. BTO's head of surveys, Dawn Baumer, told us, as our beaches get busier over the summer holidays, Look out for dead birds and report them and keep your dogs on leads and away from carcasses. It's devastating to see the impact of avian influenza again this summer. The RSPB's Senior Policy Officer for Highly Pathogenic Avian Influenza, Claire Smith, told us it's heartbreaking to see avian influenza sweep through seabirds again this year. 
the disease is one of several threats impacting the UK's internationally important seabird populations. DEFRA science and statement acknowledge that viruses mutate. H5N1 was thought only to affect birds, but we now know that the virus has crossed species from birds to mammals such as foxes. And how would a fox contract the virus? Oh yeah, <laughs> it'd be by eating the carcass of an infected bird. Wildlife Matters has genuine concerns about the British government's response to avian influenza, which has a devastating global impact on wild and domestic bird populations. And we believe they are more concerned with protecting the poultry industry than our native wildlife, and indeed, you and me. You see, whilst other countries are taking responsible measures, DEFRA lifted all restrictions on UK poultry in July. This means that all poultry, including the intensively farmed birds and the egg layers, no longer require testing or monitoring, and DEFRA is only responding to reported virus outbreaks. So, if a farm has an outbreak of H5N1 avian influenza, it will be shut down and all the poultry will be killed and their bodies burned before the farm is chemically cleaned. And in the meantime, there is a 10 kilometre exclusion zone put around that farm. Any virus that warrants such a devastating response should not have had its restrictions lifted during its low period because we know that it is at its most virulent and devastating throughout autumn and winter. Now, let us know what you think about DEFRA's handling of avian influenza in the UK. Please leave us a comment and tell us if you want Wildlife Matters to cover avian influenza and its devastating impact on wild birds in depth in a future podcast. That has been this week's Wildlife Matters Nature News. And amid this devastating outbreak of avian influenza, DEFRA has not stopped the release of millions of grouse into the British countryside so they can be shot for so-called sport. And driven grouse shooting industry is the subject of this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates, which is coming up next. Welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters Investigates and today we are investigating grouse shooting. Yeah, the new season starts on the 12th of August every year and that is this coming Saturday. Our investigation is entitled Blood on the Moors and that will be true this Saturday. Tens of thousands of red grouse will be shot over the next two months covering the upland moorlands of England in rivers of blood. The shooting estates claim that grouse shooting is a traditional field sport, but that just isn't true. Just as the Countryside Alliance claimed that fox hunting is a country tradition, the truth is that driven grouse shooting is a 
perverse, uniquely British pastime. Crouch shooting has a terrible impact on the environment and other wildlife, and it's heavily subsidised. Investigations have revealed that all shooting estates practice driven grouse shooting where a line of beaters drive the grouse towards lines of static guns. They claim that this is a sport but that's farcical because guns need very little skill to hit a dense cloud of low-flying birds with a repeat loader shotgun. Another claim is that grouse shooting is traditional but that simply isn't true either. It has around 150 years of history, only becoming popular in Britain when Queen Victoria and Prince Albert bought the Balmoral Estate and the development of repeat firing guns. The estates claim shooting is good for the economy, but this has some truth, but it doesn't really stand up to very much scrutiny. What is true is that big money is made by the estate owners who can charge up to £10,000 a day for a six to eight gun shooting party so that they can shoot grouse on their taxpayer subsidised shooting estates. It would be far more economical to ban the shooting and rewild the estate with the subsidies that are currently going to the wealthy landowners. Another claim is that the shooting estates conserve rare habitats, maintain biodiversity and protect wildlife. So let's explore that in a bit more detail. Wild red grouse live in the heather-clad hills of the British Uplands. It's a hardy bird that lives in the Upland hills all year round and eats a diet of predominantly heather shoots. The shooting estates have done nothing beyond increasing the number of wild red grouse by several hundred percent. They have achieved this by killing the native wildlife that also calls the Upland moors its home. Red grouse are not reared and released like pheasants and partridge, but the moors are managed by gamekeepers to maximise the number of birds available at the beginning of the shooting season. The heather is burned on a rotation of around four years to create a patchwork of old heather used by the grouse for shelter and nesting, and young heather shoots, which is the main food of the grouse. Wet areas, known as peat bogs, are drained with a devastating impact on climate change as peat stores carbon very efficiently but when you burn it, it releases that carbon back into the atmosphere but the heather doesn't do well in sodden soils so they burn the peat and any natural predators such as foxes, stoats and corvids are shot, snared or poisoned. Campaigners such as Chris Packham, Ruth Tingay and Mark Avery have raised awareness of the killing of protected species of raptors such as hen harriers, golden eagles, peregrine falcons and buzzards. All these birds are protected by law and much evidence of egg and chick destruction, poisoned carcasses, trapping and shooting has been collected but prosecutions seem rarer than hen harrier eggs on a grouse moor. The hen harrier a ground nesting raptor is particularly affected as it lives on open moors and does eat red grouse. Scientists have calculated that there is enough habitat in the UK for around 2,600 hen harrier pairs, yet there are only about 600 throughout the whole UK. Golden eagles and peregrine falcons are also known 
from scientific studies to be rare or absent from grouse shooting areas of the country. The grouse shooting industry is not the economy saving cash generator it claims to be. Our malls and wildlife are victims of a bastardization of a monoculture landscape and the relentless need to make money at any cost. And the true cost is to our climate. The carbon emissions from burnt peat mean the UK will never reach net zero. In addition, the snaring, poisoning and shooting of protected birds of prey and native wildlife has their mismanagement of the moorlands, which are the source of around 70% of the UK's fresh drinking water, is costing homeowners, every one of us, you and me, costing us money. And let us not forget the water companies that now have to filter the carbon from the water, something peat bogs do naturally, by the way. Not forgetting the misery and destruction of the floods that have increased so dramatically in recent years, costing hundreds of millions of pounds because rainfall that previously landed on the hills and soaked through the peat beds and has done so for millennia can now only run off the surface, crashing downhill towards the nearest river and putting it into full flood in a flash. And just to add here, the straightening of our rivers and drains for the benefit of farmers to use ever larger machinery has also increased the speed of flow in the flood rivers, making the impact even more devastating for the towns and villages around the open moorlands. I hope you now understand that the so-called Glorious Twelve is a celebration of a one-sided massacre of wild birds against people with guns, supported by dogs and other hired hands known as beaten, that drive the birds towards the waiting guns. They simply can't miss the volume of birds passing over their heads. Driven grouse shooting is cruel and barbaric and it serves no valid purpose. We condemn a fox that kills a whole coop of chickens, so why don't we condemn people who kill millions of birds every year just for fun? And now we would normally be taking a bit of time together in nature. But thank you to everyone who let me know that the Mindful Moments audio was corrupted in the last broadcast, which is strange and I really do apologise. I have checked and a number of my files and there was an issue when I uploaded them. And we are currently working to put this right. But today the gremlins are still in the system. And I've had to use one of the few clips that did work and is perhaps not the most relaxing or mindful. But let's see what you think this week's mystery wildlife is. Thank you.
Okay, okay, I get it. Not everyone's favourites, but they do play a vital role in our ecosystem and environments. Today's Wildlife Matters mystery animal is, of course, a guest at many of your summer picnics and usually uninvited. It is, of course, the wasp. Now, let's get to this week's Wildlife Matters main feature. And we're back in the uplands for the Inglorious 12 and why Wildlife Matters is calling for an outright ban on the driven grouse shooting in Blood on the Moors. This week's Wildlife Matters main feature. Welcome to this week's Wildlife Matters main features where today we are going to be looking at the real damage that is caused by grouse shooting. According to grouse moor managers and gamekeepers, responsible and traditional management of moorlands provides important conservation advantages. It seems that they strongly believe that if gamekeepers stopped controlling general predators, blackwing and golden plover populations could decline by as much as 81% and curlew populations could drop by 47% within just a decade. So what has caused this sudden change in attitude and this increased awareness of conservation efforts from the gamekeepers and grouse mall managers? Well, I'm curious if there are any other ulterior motives behind this newfound concern for certain species of wildlife. So let's dive right in with the red grouse. That is a species that more owners are passionate about safeguarding. This bird is a subspecies of the willow ptarmigan, known for its low breeding density of between 0.1 and to a maximum of 10 pairs per kilometer. It's found in Northern Europe, Northern Eurasia, and North America. But thanks to intensive habitat management, predator control, and regular medication on grouse moors in the UK, the red grouse population after breeding has skyrocketed to around 150 to 500 birds per kilometer square. Now you could say that that was a success. Grouse moor management or red grouse depend on moorland habitats comprising of blanket bog and heath beyond the limits of enclosed agriculture and that comes from Watson and Moss in 2008. These habitats and the breeding bird populations they support in the UK are of international conservation importance with large areas protected under national and international law from Thompson et al in 1995. That means that the estate owners are being subsidised by the UK taxpayer to maintain these vitally important habitats and ecosystems. Critically though, these moors provide 70% of drinking water in Britain and support 
peatlands in England and Scotland that are the largest carbon store within the UK, amounting to almost 18 million tonnes. That research comes from Bon Atal 2009, Chapman Atal 2009 and also Alonso in 2012. The burning and vegetation control. Estate managers take a responsible and meticulous approach to land management, ensuring the survival of red grouse by catering to their specific needs. They understand that young and nourishing heather shoot tips are crucial to the grouse, while older and deeper heather provides them with important nesting and protection. To fulfill these vital requirements, the vegetation is burned on a rotational basis preserving a variety of heather and dwarf shrub ages, which proves to be highly advantageous to grouse. Additionally, they effectively manage grazing densities of sheep and deer and employ herbicides to control bracken and to maintain the dominance of heather. But what they don't tell you is that the burning has a negative impact on certain bird species as well, such as the merlin, hen harrier and short-eared owl as it reduces their nesting cover. Moreover, heather cover dominance is unfavourable for species typically found in grassy moorlands such as the skylark and meadow thicket. This also impedes the growth and development of scrub and woodland, which are vital for preserving biodiversity. Moors for grouse management has intensified, resulting in shorter burning rotations and more annual burns. Even protected species, despite government regulations, are routinely burning moorlands that sit atop of deep peat soils, which often support blanket bog and wet heath. This repeated burning of blanket bog is inconsistent with international responsibilities to maintain and restore it to favourable conservation status. As per the findings of the Committee on Climate Change back in 2015, a mere 14% of upland peatland habitats in the UK are considered to be in good condition. This is primarily due to the burning of blanket bog and wet heath, which can lead to the long-term loss of bog-forming sphagnum mosses, ultimately resulting in the degradation or loss of peat formation and carbon sink conditions. This situation often paves the way for the growth of heather, also pointed out by Graves, Glaives et al. in 2013. Burning also impacts the water supply with associated economic consequences. It causes dissolved organic carbon, DOC, and water discoloration. The water companies have to clean and filter the water their customers bear the cost, and that's you and me, Mr. and Mrs. Householder of the UK. Are there any economic benefits to grouse moors? Well, the other major claim of the moor owners is the economic benefits they bring to the rural areas. This is a point of view that has been persuasive to the government, but has showered the Uplands estates with millions of pounds of taxpayer public money. UK taxpayers are happy to fund projects that benefit nature and help preserve the diverse ecosystem that sustains plant and animal life. This ecosystem is, is essential in safeguarding our water supply, protecting against floods 
and promoting conservation efforts both locally and globally. But I believe if the UK taxpayer knew the truth, it would be highly improbable that they would continue to support grouse estates. It is disheartening to witness the transformation of a once diverse habitat into a location that caters solely to one species. The intensive management of grouse moors has a plethora of harmful consequences, including amplified greenhouse gas emissions, as highlighted by the Committee on Climate Change, increased water treatment costs passed on to customers, a heightened risk of floods, and diminished aquatic biodiversity, leading to the downstream impact on fishermen. And the irony is here that the red grass are being bred to be driven or flushed over static lines of shooters for sport. Yes, they're going to shoot them for fun and so the estate can make a profit. The red grouse season, which runs from the 12th of August until the 10th of December annually, is considered the prestige event in the shooting calendar. Grouse are driven by lines of beaters to fly over a row of shooters who expect to kill more grouse in a day, an average figure of between 30 to 40 per gun and a gun is what the shooters call themselves, than on a walk-up shoot where hunters walk in a line using dogs to flush grouse to the guns. Most of these shootings take place on private land and large fees are expected. A shooting area of approximately 850,000 hectares, that comes from Douglas et al in 2015, and a dramatic increase in the red grouse population, in fact a 90% increase in England and a 74% increase in Scotland. Of course, this has resulted in increased disease. Red grouse are vulnerable to strongylosis, a disease caused by the gastrointestinal nematode, trichostrongylosis, which depresses body condition may cause death and can reduce brood sizes and population densities, according to a red part in 2006. The red grouse are also susceptible to looping ill, a virus causing empocephalomyelitis in sheep that is also carried by wild mammals such as hares and deer. It is transmitted by a tick. After two months of intensive shooting on the grouse moors, with each gun killing 30 to 40 grouse a day, that's a lot of dead birds. So what happens to them? Clearly, the shooters can't eat them all. Some are sold to butchers or to the local community, and some are donated to food banks, but many are not safe to eat as they are full of lead shot. One food bank volunteer told me that they have asked not to receive them any longer as they need to be prepared and many locals no longer want to eat them. The reality is that most of them end up in stink pits. These are large holes dug in the ground and covered at the end of the day. There will be very many stink pits dug on every estate each shooting season. As Mark Avery says in his excellent book, Inglorious, grouse shooting is simply a hobby, a pastime. If train spotting wrecked the ecology of the places it occurred at, then we would ban it. Grouse shooting requires densities of red grouse way above natural levels. 
which are produced by intense predator control. Heather burning more than damage. This unsustainable land management benefit red grouse, which are then shot for fun, shortchanges the rest of us. And let's not forget that to protect the red grouse, the gamekeepers spend the majority of their time engaged in predator control. Gamekeepers openly kill predators of grouse to maximise the shootable surplus. The red fox, stoat, weasel and various corvid species are shot and trapped regularly. However, illegal trapping and shooting, snaring and poisoning of raptors, which are protective birds, and badgers, which are a protective mammal, also takes place. To reduce the infection risk of looping eel, gamekeepers routinely shoot mountain hares and red deer. There is no evidence that culling mountain hares and red deer reduces the risk to red grouse, as both the ticks and the looping eel viruses persist even when tick hosts occur at very low densities. To quote the science, the scientific case for culling mountain hares is weak, and that comes from Verity et al. 2015. I've left the killing of raptors or birds of prey until last, it is a topic we will return to in more depth in future, but I feel it must be made clear that all raptor species are protected by law, but the law also protects their eggs, nests and chicks. The illegal killing of raptors, especially hen harriers, has raised awareness of the issues of grouse hunting, and Wildlife Matters is supporting Mark Avery, Chris Packham and Ruth Tingay in their excellent work they are doing with their organisation called Wild Justice. The illegal use of poisons to kill predators is a regular practice for gamekeepers who actively manage morse for grouse shooting Whitfield et al. 2003. Hen harriers are almost entirely absent from driven grouse moors across the UK. Golden eagles and red kites have been illegally killed in Scotland predominantly in areas managed for grouse shooting, and that was Whitfield et al. 2006, 2007, and Smart et al. in 2010. The breeding performance of peregrine falcons is lower on grouse moors than any other habitat in the UK, with 66% of pairs failing to produce any young at all, even though clutch brood sizes of successful nests do not differ between grouse moors and other habitats. How mysterious. I think Dr Mark Avery sums things up very well when he says, grouse shooting is all about killing wildlife. The point is to kill lots of red grouse for fun, and that depends on the killing of a huge number of foxes, stoats, weasels, crows, etc. Too often, protected species are killed too because they eat red grouse. 2,600 pairs of hen harriers should nest in the UK, but there are only around 600 because of illegal persecution by the grouse shooting interests. That is really quite shocking and as you can hear from some of those research dates, this has been going on for the better part of 20 years. And all that time our government have been subsidising this work on the grouse moors with taxpayers' money to the tune of millions of pounds every year. 
It makes no sense economically and definitely no sense for our environment. And at a time of climate change, how can we be paying people to basically burn and destroy our peat moors, which are one of the main carbon sinks that are available in this country? And what's more, when you burn them and the fires range below, basically those peat moors start to release the carbon they've stored back into the atmosphere. It is just crazy. There can be no justification for managing the, the moors this way just so we can shoot grouse. How irresponsible is it to let millions of birds out into the British countryside in the middle of a bird flu pandemic whilst destroying the natural biodiversity of the British uplands just so some people can shoot birds for fun? Driven grouse shooting is one of the issues that really evokes my wild wrath. Wrong on so many levels, but it isn't the only persecution of wild animals that really gets me fired up. The fox hunting season begins soon, but right now they are out killing this year's cubs and the badger coals will quickly move from the ongoing supplementary licenses to the full-on massacre of another maybe 100,000 plus badgers over the coming months. Wildlife Matters will be doing whatever we can to protect wild animals from cruelty of hunting, free shooting and cage shooting. It seems that in autumn, the wildlife abusers feel they can start their killing frenzy, having restricted themselves to killing aquatic mammals and deer since the spring. Now is perhaps a good time to clarify and make it crystal clear that Wildlife Matters wants to see an end to the cruel, costly and pointless badger coals, a ban on driven grouse shooting and an end to subsidising wealthy landowners and to see fox hunting banished to room 101 forever. We are an anti-hunting, anti-blood sports, and we will stand up and speak out to protect all wildlife and animals and to protect our natural world. So, as I stand down from my soapbox, I'd just like to say thank you for listening to this podcast, for your fantastic support, and for spreading the word about the Wildlife Matters podcast. I have been your host, Nigel Palmer, and this is Wildlife Matters signing out.